Hey everyone, and welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley, and this is episode number 221. In this episode, Brian and I continue to continue the Meet Darkstation series, where we interview uh, the various writers here on darkstation.com, and this week we are talking to Ram Mojica. It was a great conversation, and as always, we hope you enjoy it. Now on with the show. Let's all talk about our our favorite little-known canceled TV shows. Let's do that right now. Let's do it. Yeah. Partners. I don't know what that is. I don't is. know if I've got one. All right. Partners, it had uh, it had the dude from Numbers. Um, I can't think of his name right now. I don't, um, I don't know what had, Numbers is. Uh, Brandon so. Routh. Okay. Okay, uh, Superman. Who, who was Superman. Yeah. Uh, also had probably one of the uh, greatest scripted um, Superman jokes without being a Superman joke in which uh, Brandon Ralph and his uh, his partner Lewis um, Lewis handed him a pair of glasses and Brandon put them on as though he were Clark Kent and uh-huh. said are you happy now Lois and Lewis goes what did you call me and he goes I'm sorry Lewis <laughs> and that was it that was the joke it was perfect <laughs> yes Yes. Oh God, I have to find this now. Partners. Yeah. All right, we're bringing back every single <laughs> TV show. Let's go, people. <laughs> yep. Have an hour-long podcast where we just talk about terriers. There. Okay. I've never watched terriers. <laughs> oh, I, I haven't either, but I'm sure we can make it entertaining. What? Why not? I'll just read the. I'll just like read the dogs. articles that I've read about it. So, so. Who else was in Partners? Because I, I found a show with Kelsey Grammer in it. That was not it. Hold on okay. a second. I'll tell you. <laughs> All right. Since we're really going down this hole. So, so while you're looking up that, uh, legitimately, if anybody has not watched the show Gallivant, it's now on Netflix. It is only 18 episodes long, so it's not like a huge commitment. Uh, that That's one thing that keeps me from watching a lot of TV. Like once you've gotten to like eight seasons and there's like five billion shows it, honestly, I'm just I'm not gonna watch it just because I, I'm just I'm not gonna do that. Um, I kind of feel the opposite actually. Like if there's eight seasons and it's still going, and I've heard that, that's really good, that doesn't I'll probably guarantee start it that it's good at all though, because that's well, just like not how like TV if works. I if I get enough recommendations on it, like Bob's Burgers is still going, and I haven't watched Bob's Burgers, but I've got Bob's enough... Burgers is fantastic. Exactly. Like I've had yes. enough people say that to me that I was like, yeah, maybe I should yeah actually they... watch this show. That I, I uh, Bob's Burgers, I saw a tweet from um, Kevin Van Ord, uh, previously of uh, GameSpot fame. Uh, the fame, it's not really the right word, but um, well, he went on to... He's, in, he's, in our yeah, circles, he's, 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 he's famous. So. Exactly. Yeah. He's, writing yeah. for, he's writing for a couple of video game companies now, and uh, he just sent out this random tweet that was like, Bob's Burgers is by far the greatest animated show on TV, and I was like... Well, maybe not, and so I started watching. I was like, "All right, Kevin, you're you're right. This is really." Good. <laughs> yeah, I've seen I've seen a couple episodes, and it's it's definitely starts out strong. Yeah. So. I did. Yeah. So to, to change uh, tracks completely here, by the guy from Numbers, what you actually meant was Bernard from the Santa Claus. That is exactly David Crumholtz. Yes. So yeah, if you had said that, I, I totally would have known who you meant. Yeah. Um, but I, I've never watched numbers, so I don't I don't know yeah. anything about that. That's David Crumbles. I, yeah. uh, I watched all of I binge watched all of numbers, 
Okay. So there were six seasons there. So that is, while yes, he is absolutely Bernard, um, I will always remember him as Charlie Epps. And okay. That's, that's fair. Yeah. That's. Yes. To each their own. No, I'm. He was I'm also, also like one of his first roles was Ten Things I Hate About You. He was. Yeah, the, I see that, but I'm also always going to remember him as Bernard from The Santa Claus. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. No matter. No matter what else he does with his life, it'll be like, oh yeah, that guy was that guy was Bernard. Dude, Bernard! You know what? And he's probably the kind of dude that would totally own that. Yeah, he'd be like, yeah, it was Bernard. It was best off there was. Even best after he up. wins awards for something else, it'll just be like, yeah, that's how I got my start, man. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, but yeah, so seriously, no, like, no, no joking at all. Go watch Gallivant. It's fantastic. It's it's just really damn good. Just go, you pause the podcast. Go watch all of it. It'll it'll take you like half a day because uh, it's you know half hour sitcom, eighteen episodes. You'll blow through it. You'll be jubilant and sad that there's not more. Uh, jubilant in that you got to experience this wonderful thing. Sad that there's not more of it. But then you can just start watching it again because it's it's that good. But uh, yeah, all right, I'm, I'm going to stop that. Except that I'm probably not. Uh, it's probably going to be the theme of the show. Uh, who knows? I don't. Uh, we've got questions here. We could ask them. We might. Yep. Um, I tend I tend to gallivant around in my free time. So there you go. That's that's how we do it. Well, Rom, welcome. Welcome back to the Dark Cast. It's been quite yep. some time since you've been on the show. It has, uh, for sure. But uh, how are how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty uh, pretty well. I uh, went for a run today, and since it's National Margarita Day, I picked up some margarita stuff, so I'm having a good day. Living life right. That is, exactly. That is good. You, you balance the like exercise out with the stuff that completely cancels exercise, well, or, that, or that, vice versa. That, that's why I exercise is I exercise so I can be a giant piece of garbage in the rest of my life. That's <laughs> well, good to know that you got your, your priorities, you know, in line. That's that's good. Yeah, stuff. no, I just like on the weekends I'm just injecting lard straight into myself. Like, let's go. <laughs> uh that's Alright, that's what you do on hey, your own time. Is, don't is judge your... me. I'm not. You have fun with that. I hope it is <laughs> I hope you enjoy the lard injections. I hope it is, is worth it. Uh, <laughs> judgment free zone here. That's <laughs> Honestly, I could I could probably spend my time doing things a little bit more uh more useful. Such just playing video games. Video games? That's... What are those? Good question. Tell us they more. Been... Tell us they more. Haven't been yet, so. Ah. Okay, that's why I'm confused. But I, I hear that young Nolan Bushnell guy's got some good ideas. <laughs> uh, that whippersnapper, he's it's never going to amount to anything. Heard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ram, you you've been writing for Dark Station for quite some time. Um, when did you? I have been writing for quite some time. When did you get on board with the show? Uh, or with the show? With the, I got on website? board. Oh boy, let me actually figure this out because it was when the game Rock of Ages came out. Uh, and I remember because I actually wrote up a review of it on Dark Station, or not on Dark Station, on Giant Bomb. It was like one of the few reviews I ever actually wrote. <laughs> and um, it actually got our our uh, wonderful editor, Joel, to notice me and come and be like, hey, you want to write for my game website? And I was like, what? <laughs> Especially because that review is not very good. 
He saw the he saw the talent underneath. Yeah, exactly. Like he he really saw what was actually there. And yep. since then, like my writing has really improved. And I go back and I read that every now and then and go like, man, what was my problem back then? <laughs> See, I, I'm convinced that the only reason that uh, Joel asked me to be on the website was that I went through the effort to, like... Because it was also a giant bomb review that got me on the on the website. Um, but I went through, like, the effort to resize the images and, like, embed them in the paragraphs and stuff like that. So you had, like, one mm-hmm. big image, and then you had one that was, like, taking up half of a paragraph, and one that was taking yeah. up, like, a quarter of a yeah. paragraph, and all kinds of crazy, stupid stuff like that. Uh, I think it, I think it was totally just design because I'm sure that my my first review was terrible. Um, yeah, for sure. Like mine was definitely not super great at all. But you know, uh, as time's gone by and as I've like written more reviews, I definitely noticed. Like, you know, I'll look back at some of them and be like, "Whoa, my writing from back then was completely different from how it is now." Sure. It's it's really bad when you just go like six months and you read a review and it's like, wait a minute, I wrote this. Who let me write uh, this? The one that, this... <laughs> the, one that kill, the one that really kills me is that we had that that feature where we just talked about like popular games that we didn't like. Yeah. Um, and I had one on Skyrim, and when I re- <laughs> when I reread that, I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever written, and I should I should purge it from the internet. Just go back into the document, and just delete it, just like it never was there. Yeah, like, I could honestly, in the time that we're recording this podcast without breaking conversation with you guys, probably write a better article on it. <laughs> well, that, that is one of the hard things, just when you're, when you are writing about something that you don't like, especially if it's in opposition to a bunch of other people that do like something, or if you're, if you're writing it the other way around, if you're trying to uphold something that a lot of other people don't really like, you, you get a little... Like, it's really easy to get ranty. Um, and that's yeah, why, sure. like, I... That's that's one of the hardest things for me if I pick up a review after the game's already released and after I've already, like, seen some other reviews, then it starts stirring in my head how I want to counter those reviews. And I was like, no, that mm-hmm. that's not what I'm doing here. That's that's going to be a really, really bad review. <laughs> That's going to be a fanboy just being like, no, it's better. Yeah, no, that's why, like, if I'm ever reviewing anything, I make sure that I never search for it at all because it's, like, it's it's going to inform my opinion some way, whether it's me, like, disagreeing with somebody else's point right. or whether it's me vehemently being like, no, nah, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you should pay attention to me. I know better. Um, exactly. Yeah, like absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm writing this whole review actually just as a counter argument to this one sentence in this review, <laughs> right? Because that guy's an idiot, but I'm the smart guy. Well, uh, Rom, what, what do you actually do when you're not, you know, playing video games or writing reviews or cutting out thousands of words from other people's reviews? I do a billion things. So uh, during the day, uh, I'm an electrical engineer. Uh, uh, kind and the boring, the boring kind because uh, you know a lot of times you think of electrical engineers and they're just the dudes like playing with Tesla coils and electrocuting each other and making like computers uh, but no I work with uh, power lines <laughs> but uh, when I when I come home from doing that I've got uh, my, my two biggest hobbies that I do or I guess three biggest hobbies that I do aside from games are I like to read a lot 
Um, I like to write just in general, and I also watch a lot of movies. Okay. <laughs> so I'm actually I'm actually part of three different book clubs right now, which is really dumb. Uh, but two of them are comic book clubs, so they're at least really fast reads. But the other That's one fair. is, the other one is still like, uh, you know, I have to find time to read 500 words in the middle of also reading these comic books. Hmm. 500 uh, words so, isn't a lot to read. Though, I'm sorry, so. 500 <laughs> pages, Mister. <laughs> that's, that's different. That's different. That's yeah. That's more. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's still doable if I was just better at it. But like this this year started and I've been kind of worse with it just because I have uh, chunked up my time a little bit more differently. So I'm I'm trying to get used to that a little more. Okay. Um, That's um... just because like 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 I said I also like to write a lot so I spend a lot of time just uh, like I have a writing partner that I'm writing a story with. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Yeah, I I mean I I doubt it's anything that's ever going to get published because it's also just kind of like playing with things that we both enjoy. Just like yeah, I I like. uh, I like zombie apocalypses. All right, let me build up this world now. But it's probably not going to be anything that I can do anything with except have fun with and practice writing just in general. Practice is good, though. Practice, that's cool. I um, I don't write near as much as I, I wish I could. That's that's really that's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. going, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, do a selfish plug, not, not a selfless plug. What's the... Shameless plug. Is that, is that what shameless, we call it? Shameless, shameless plug. Yeah. Looking for. Um, so, yeah, last year, uh, Joel and Alan and I started a book club uh, called Gamers Read. And uh, we have a rule that the book isn't supposed to be more than about 300 pages. Uh, otherwise, we have a hard time finishing things. Yeah, it's kind of hard to. Because, like, uh, I just meet up at a local, uh, whatchamacallit, bookstore. And what are those? So, so you know these these are also people who like you know can read multiple you know multiple multi hundred page books a month and have no problem with it. Mm. <laughs> but I kind of joined it just because it's a it's a good chance to get some recommendations that I might have never heard of before. Sure. Um. So it's it's a science fiction and fantasy one that I'm in, but they also have a bunch of other ones like. And I'll use those as recommendations. Like, there's a horror book club, so whenever they recommend something, it's like, I'll pick that up for my spare time, but I'm probably not going to finish it in time for this book club, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a general rule that three is probably going to be the the most you want to do for a book club, just because then it gets to be too many, too many books, too many words, too hard to keep up with. Sure. And especially if, if it ends up being a, a bad book, or at least just not a book that you... Uh jive with um i think the the reason that we went with 300 was the the first book that i actually picked uh was a 600 page book um that i had already read before and love and so i came in it with a bias and so we also have a rule whoever's picking the book uh they can't have already read it Uh, it doesn't have to be a book that nobody's read but the person picking can't have read it uh to nice way to to have they've made two rules just because of you Yes, yes, they have. Uh, but so that first book was 600 pages, and so I read it, had no problem, loved it. Um, I, I don't think Joel even made it to the 100-page mark. Alan made it to about 200 pages, and as we were kind of thinking about it, it's like, you know, if, if you've only got 100 pages left, like, you could feasibly power through that, even if you don't like it. But if you're at the 200-page mark, you don't like it, and you've got 400 pages left... 
Yeah, that's yeah. that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had a book that we read um, that I don't think I think maybe one person in the book club finished it, and they were just nice. able to fill us in with the rest of the details, and we were all like, "Wow, I'm so glad I didn't finish it because that sounds <laughs> terrible." <laughs> I made the correct choice. Yeah, exactly. This book. Exactly, and then there was a sequel, and the guy who finished it was like, "I'm going to read the sequel," and then he posted like the Facebook group, like, "Guys, I've made a mistake." <laughs> the best, worst kinds of mistakes. Yeah, uh, that's that's awesome. That is awesome. Have you read anything recently that you really liked and would like to recommend? Um, well, I read, uh, it's a graphic novel, it's called The Less Than Epic Adventures of T.J. Endemol, um, which is actually by an author who lives in the same city as me in Austin, Texas, represent. Uh, it's actually just about, uh, two guys going on a road trip together, and they wind up falling in love with each other, and it's a, it's a, it's a really nice story of just, like, two guys getting to know each other and having a good time while they're on the road. But something that I really appreciated in it was... It's a black and white comic, except every now and then it would cut in pages of full color while they're in, like, a, a national park or something like that where the view is really spectacular. So, you know, there's, like, three or four of those, but it's still really, like, a really striking full-page spread that I really appreciate. Okay. Cool. And um, the, other book, the other book I've been reading is called A Darker Shade of Magic, I think it is. Um, which the book club meeting was supposed to be on Monday, but I still had about 200 pages left in it, so I didn't go to that one. But um, it's a, it's about a guy, there's like multiple Londons uh, in different dimensions, and he's able to like transfer across them because he's got magic in his blood. <laughs> so he's kind of like smuggling things between different Londons, and one of the things he's smuggling comes back to bite him and winds up being like a an interdimensional conspiracy that he's got to get to the bottom of. And it, it, it's definitely interesting. Um, it's starting to introduce just a whole bunch of plot elements all of a sudden that it's like, whoa, how are you guys going to finish this up in 200 pages? You've reached the, uh, the, the uh, plot exposition, uh, London? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I've reached plot exposition, London, which is the first London that you get to. But yeah, it's... Uh, uh, it, it it's cool. Like I, I might recommend you pick it up, but it's uh, it's also like the first part of a series. So if you're not super into it, you might wanna might wanna not pick up the rest of them. So I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and plug Galavant here. At one point in one of the episodes, uh, they actually do come to the forest of coincidence, where several things happen that are quote unquote coincidences, and everything just kind of works out, and people go their ways, and it's like, you know, that's that's a great stupid way to um, move the plot forward in like 30 that seconds. That is pretty funny. When, yeah. you know, it otherwise would have taken like two episodes. To... <laughs> well, it, it, it kind of reminds me of my favorite book, which is called The Phantom Tollbooth, which is, it's more of a children's book, but I really enjoy it just because it plays with language a lot. And there's this part where they're like driving along a coast and then everybody just starts saying things that they don't really have a good basis for. And as soon as they say it, they like just like fly away. And they land on the island of conclusions, where whenever you jump to conclusions, you get taken there. <laughs> that's good. God, if only. Oh, uh, that's good. <laughs> that is good. Well, um, when you're not jumping to conclusions and you're playing video games, or when you first started playing video games, what what were you playing? What got you into this phenomenon that we call? Video games. 
Video Garms? I've never heard heard of that. No, I'm just uh <laughs> it's hard to say because there were like there are multiple steps along the way, I guess. Cuz like one of my earliest memories is playing Sonic the Hedgehog on Genesis. Hmm. Um which one of my uncles owned. Uh so I used to just go and play that at his place. But it's really dumb because like uh, uh, of all the memories that I have of it, the memory that stands out the most in my head is that I used to just like pull out the cartridge at random times and see what the screen would do. <laughs> That's that, that is the correct way to play Sonic. That's uh, <laughs> turns out turns out the, the game system didn't really like it when you did that and uh, would pause the game <laughs> or would freeze it and you'd have to restart it. Um, so then the next thing that got me a little further in was that I got a Game Boy. And the big game that I got with it that uh, I remember playing a lot was the Game Boy Donkey Kong game. Which is really Donkey Kong Land? No, 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 not Donkey Kong Land. Donkey Kong. The the one where you play as Mario still trying to rescue Paul. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Because it wasn't just the arcade game or the NES version that you go through those three levels ad nauseum. It kind of plays on that where you go through those the three levels from the arcade game at first, (laughs) but then it expands into an eight world puzzle game where you're trying to collect keys and get Mario to the exit, and you're trying to defeat enemies along the way. And at the fourth part of each world. Uh, you have to actually fight Donkey Kong in, like, a boss battle. Huh. So, yeah, this is, like, a... It's a game that I don't think very many people remember, but it's really, really good. Um, and it's actually available on the 3DS. If you go into the, the eShop and check out the virtual console, um, then this version of Donkey Kong is in there. But how I was... Does, uh, how does How does Donkey Kong hold up when you pull the cartridge down? Uh, it's hard to say on a 3DS, that's for sure. That's true. Yeah, those don't just but pop up. When, I don't know, when I was a kid, uh, I never considered pulling the cartridges out of the, the Game Boy. Because, <laughs> the Game Boy. Why, why would I do that? No, this isn't the Genesis. <laughs> why would I do that? This isn't Sonic. <laughs> just a ritual now. Like, even if I'm playing, you know, uh, Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection, I'll pop open the disc and see what happens. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> you gotta find. But then out. The, the last big thing that I think, the last big thing that I think really got me was Pokemon, mm-hmm. um, which I remember I was at a Christmas party, and I was uh, there were always those older kids who always had the games that were like, dude, you gotta check this out, um, and so one of them was like, dude, you gotta check this out. It's called Pokemon. I'll let you play on my game, but do not save. Yep. Like, yep. Yeah, the do not save was like uh, a thing that was the, the ultimate Pokemon thing whenever you were showing it to people. So I went through it, and I was just like, this game seems alright, I don't know. And then I like I caught my first Pokemon. I just remember it really gave me this weirdly strong reaction to it. Like, it wasn't anything special. It was just a Caterpie. But when I caught it, I was like, whoa, I've achieved something in a way that I don't think I've ever achieved in the game before. <laughs> and I was... I was oh, six. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was I was about six at the time, and I just remember that feeling of just like, whoa, video games are pretty great. I remember my brother brought home the uh, the I want to say he brought home Red, um, and played that one, and I was like, oh, there's stuff to catch. That's kind of cool. Okay, 
Yeah. Um, I didn't really get into it until uh, I want to say I was it was it, around the time Platinum came out Ooh. and uh, one of the dudes I was working with um, was playing it and I was like oh you play Pokemon I know what that is and he was like yeah he goes yeah I'm trying to um, what was it I'm trying to raise uh, one of these stats for this EVP and I was like with raise stats he goes yeah yeah yeah, if I just you know if I make a lot of these, I can get the right stat boost, and then I can go kill a bunch of these and raise stats. And I'm like, why? And he brought <laughs> up this website that was just pages and pages of uh, like Japanese arithmetic and genetics like research. And I'm looking at this, going, all this is in the game. He goes, oh yeah, man, this you know you can get it broken down however you want if you decide to dig deep enough. And I was like, this is amazing I have to get this game <laughs> and so there was a deep hole of about six months where it was just like yeah I could do this and then I was like no I'm not doing this ever again but the yeah. new ones are cool I, I definitely want to check out the newer ones we'll take it like a 3DS what is a Caterpie a Caterpie is a Caterpillar Pokemon that's totally actually super based on a real actual Caterpillar that lives in the world okay um, so yeah like it's one of the most basic in fact like his save game was still in one of the earlier cities so even if I'd saved anything, it wouldn't have ruined anything too badly for him. Um, but yeah, it's just, it was like level three. And I just threw out that Pokeball and I caught him. And I was like, yeah, that's all right. I could get used to that feeling. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's a good, good feeling, the catching of the, uh, the Pokemon. 20 years later, it's probably still the series that I've kept up with the most. So, Still waiting for those three damn bounces. Just like, come on, you can do it. Yeah, no, every now and then you get that one where you catch it after just the one bounce. Oh. So beautiful. Yeah, that has to feel so, like, lucky and empowering. Like, yeah. I actually don't really notice it because whenever I throw the Pokeball, I look away. (laughs) 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 I'm starting to stare that Pokeball down. Like, no, you're doing what I say. I I worry that if I stare at it too long, I'll start to make it nervous. Okay. That's fair. It's those things like where you'd hear all the school the school ground rumors about like, nah, man, if you hit like B A A B, you throw a Pokemon, you'll catch that Pokemon all every time. Like, okay, cool, I'll just do that. And of course, it didn't have any basis in it, but uh, I did it for about a decade and a half before I was like, what am I doing? Before I actually like realized that it was a pattern that I was doing every time I throw a Pokeball out. So. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of miss just, you know, making up crap about video games to sound cool to your friends. <laughs> it was that's... so great. Yeah. Okay, so I, I think I might have told this story before, but at some point in Pokemon Silver, I used a Game Shark to just catch a bunch of Pokemon that were a little more difficult. But what the game did was it just it took all of the data of the Pokemon but just replaced which actual Pokemon it was. So it would be, you know, if you're in a level 3 area, it would be like a level 3 of a Pokemon you usually encounter at, like, level 45. (laughs) So I was getting ones that you should actually be able to get in the game, like Celebi and Mew and uh, the legendary dogs like Entei and Suicune, uh, just using a Game Shark. And I went to school one day, and I was showing it to a friend, and he asked, like, how'd you get these? So I didn't... I didn't say I used a Game Shark on it. I told I made up this story about how if you push in the right spot in this really dark cave early <laughs> on in the game, 
enough times using the move strength, it will eventually give away, and you'll be able to go through this cave, and you'll find yourself on this cloud where all of these Pokemon are, and they're really low level, and you can just catch them all so easily. Uh, so that was my, my big thing with that, was I told him that, and I had another friend who had also used the game shark corroborate it with me. So we were like both there going, like, yeah, yeah, just do this. <laughs> so my friend comes up to me later in high school and asks me about it. And I was like, oh, my God, dude, that was like six years ago. Have you been trying that all, all this time? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so that was actually something that, that sort of came back with Pokemon Go. And I'm not sure if you guys really played too much of it. I played like 15 minutes of it, and I was like, okay, yeah, this is uh, going to turn into a scam, so I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> uh, I think it's pretty obvious like I'm not that walking I've, around I've never played it's not... a Pokemon game. So there, there were still some things that popped up in there with people telling rumors about it. Like, yeah, if you're playing on like a stormy night, Pikachus are more likely to pop up. <laughs> if you go by cemeteries, you're more, more likely to catch, catch ghost Pokemon and stuff like that. And uh, I even remember somebody... I'm not sure if you guys ever remembered the truck rumor about, about how you could find Mew under that truck. Nope. Okay, so uh, there's a point where there's a truck off to the side of the game that you're not actually supposed to really be able to access. But the rumor was that if you went over there and you used strength, which you weren't supposed to have at the time, so you'd have to have somebody's borrowed Pokemon, and you're... You're supposed to skip part of the game and come back to it way later once you're actually able to use it. That you'd be able to move a truck to the side and catch a Mew. So even when Pokemon Go came out, there's somebody being like, "Dude, if you look under trucks, you can find a Mew." And he found he posted like a picture of himself finding a Mew in the wild underneath a truck. And I was like, "Jesus Christ! I can't believe this rumor is still a thing." <laughs> like that rumor managed to endure over 20 years until it got put into a phone app that somebody could then use to post on the internet to fool other people still. That's pretty That's pretty good. That is pretty good. And that's, uh... I really like Pokemon, so I know a bunch of these things. It's cool. It's good stuff. <laughs> um, what, uh... Besides Pokemon, what are the other types of uh, games that you like to play? Uh, honestly, I'll play mostly anything except what do you RTS like games. to play? Not just that you will play. Okay, what do I like to play? Just kind of in general. Sure, uh, it's really hard or, to say. Or specific. Uh, some. I've started to notice more recently that I'm way into puzzle games. Um, I think my number one game of last year was Pcross 3DS. And then my second game was The Witness, so uh, that kind of goes to show that puzzle games are kind of a, a big thing for me. I, I really like to play those a lot. Um, but beyond that, uh, it's hard to say just because, you know, game genres are so big and sometimes what, what seems to fit into one genre also fits into like a million others, but... sure. Um, honestly, I, I will kind of try anything. Right now, I, I'm really looking for some interesting, like, smaller games, maybe, that, that try to play with with the medium a little more. Okay. Something that I really like, something that I do really like, actually, I just remembered, that I'm kind of hoping gets bigger 
with the advent of VR especially, is a game where you just kind of explore. Like, there's mm-hmm. no real... There might be a goal to it, but there might not be. But it's just kind of a big, like, space that you wouldn't really get in the real world. And you're just kind of exploring it on your own. Uh, um, so a good example of this is... Uh, there's a game on Steam called Cairo, uh, K-A-I-R-O. It's mm-hmm. a it's a puzzle it's a puzzle game where you're just kind of exploring ancient ruins and there's little puzzles to solve along the way. But you know they're just these really these really beautiful intricate spaces that you can't really get in the real world, and you know you're kind of poking at them to to get yourself a little further in the game. <laughs> and um, I, like I said, that's the kind of thing that with VR I kind of hope to see a little bit more is just kind of like. I like that idea of some place that that can't exist, but I'm there, and I, I'm seeing how it exists in this world too. Sure. And um, one of the, uh, <laughs> I guess a, a feature I'd kind of hoped to continue on Dark Station, but then totally gave up on because I wasn't really good enough at uh, following up on it. Was this kind of like focusing on smaller, more artistic games? Mm-hmm. So the only thing I ever wrote up for that was this game called At a Distance. <laughs> which was a a small free game by Terry Kavanaugh, who you guys might know from VVVVVV or Super Hexagon. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. But the game was a two player game that was played over a network. But the idea was that you guys were supposed to be playing it next to each other because it was supposed to create a sense of isolation, even though you guys were next to each other. So both of you just kind of have this giant space that you're supposed to explore, but the ways that you guys are exploring it is starting to inform each other's worlds. And, like, I just remember being really, really affected by that game because even though I was sitting next to my partner and we were both playing it together, uh, we both still managed to feel very isolated by how empty the worlds were in the game itself. Um, And even though we were working together, it was just such a... There was this weird fog effect over the whole game too that that kind of made this feeling like you were alone and you couldn't see too far past just where you actually were, but you were still trying to help this other person and escape this area. And so, so stuff like that really affects me in games too. Like um, when it's just this this place to explore and see how it reacts to your being there, even if there's not, like I said, even if there's not necessarily a goal to it, and I'm just kind of going like, man, look at these crazy arches everywhere. Uh, that gets me a lot. Nice. So you guys might not be surprised that I really like No Man in the Sky. Did you? Yes, I did. I. So what? Really? How, how? What part of it did you really like? <sighs> the part where I would just kind of land on a place and be like, "What's here?" Yeah. Okay. You... And that's that is so when when everybody had that question at all that the place that you landed on was kind of like the place that you just left. Yeah, but what if that that place that I just left was really cool to me? Totally. Yes. Yes. And then, first, but then there was still that question of like times when, that I landed on a planet, it was very very cool, and then the seventeenth time I was like, hey, this is the why what? But then there was always still that question of like, well, what's this place got that's different? Because even if all the planets had a lot in, in common, which they all did, you know, they'd all they'd all have the tall tree. Uh-huh. They'd all have the rock that had the thing growing on it. Uh-huh. There's always something, something to them that was just a little yeah. different from the other sure. ones. 
And it was always cool to just be like, okay, so this is the place that's got the weird stone arches, but this is the one that's got the weird pillars, but this is the one that's got, like, super, super intricate cave systems like I haven't seen on the other ones. And... <laughs> so I, I really had a lot of fun exploring those and naming them, too, even if that didn't wind up actually meaning anything in the end. I like the naming portion. I thought that was that was neat, but eventually it was just it got to be like it was just too much. I mm. just stopped doing it every time, and it, um, maybe it was just uh, just having to do it with the, the PS4 controller too. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, just like, I played right, it on you know, PC, I'm... and I I got I I still named um, I still named planets and systems after I don't know a, a dozen or a little more systems that I went to. Um, which that's about the point that I stopped the game, not because I didn't like it, but just because I I kind of had my fill. Which like it's weird. No Man's Sky is a bizarre game in that like you can it's it's almost like a giant meal, and stopping because you're full for me wasn't a sign that it's bad. Like I was just kind of done, you know. Like I, yeah, so it, it's kind of like. I, no Man's Sky is kind of like the Golden Corral. It's all fine enough, but at some point you just kind of hit your limit. Yeah, it, yeah, that's uh, yes, yeah. yes. That's actually pretty perfect, right and, there. Like, and, and you know what? And I think that if I would have been, if I would have been allowed to just hit my limit and kind of move on, that I probably would have a little bit of a better opinion. Sure. But hitting my limit and then having to write about it mm-hmm. and explain why I hit my limit just made me really angry. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Sure. So I don't. I I I am glad. Like, I am very glad that you found something there because that, at least to me, says that the time I spent with it wasn't like a total waste. Yeah. Man, I think I might have written about No Man's Sky as my most anticipated game on Dark Station two years in a row, at least. That happens. So yeah. I'm glad if I'm glad it finally came out. I think I did that with The Witcher 3 two years in a row. I'm pretty sure I did that. So, yeah. It happens. It does, for sure. But, uh, but yeah, I, I I enjoyed my time with, with No Man's Sky, and I'm glad I didn't have to kind of write about it or really reflect on it too much more. I, I feel like in some ways the game would have been more successful had it just been a more in-depth get-off-the-planet thing where say it's like 20 bucks and you're put down on a planet and just like the start of the game yeah I, I don't know how long it took you guys to get off your first planet but I think it took me probably like three hours or something because I was wandering around and when you it first start off no you have okay because like I, I had to walk pretty far to get stuff for mine and so it, it took quite some time and that was one of the most exciting parts of the game is when everything is still brand new and you haven't gotten to a planet where you go, oh, this is kind of the same as the last one. Um, but when everything is just so brand new and you're scanning trees and rocks and weird, you know, lizard dog things and, you know, kangaroo giraffes and whatever mm-hmm. the hell else is in the game. Uh, like, I, I thought it was just really cool. and I, I almost felt like if they had drilled down into that exp- 
that experience of escaping this planet and surviving this hostile environment and gathering resources and repairing your ship and you know maybe you repaired enough to kind of fly around the planet some um, but your kind of end goal is just to get off uh, and it had been you know cheaper and had been billed as hey this is what the game is because you know when you said uh, you know just going to planets and just kind of landing and going oh this is cool like, I kind of think that's all the game was ever really meant to be. It just became yeah, so I, much I, more through the fact that they they would show a trailer, but then not talk about what the game actually was. And all the game yeah, is, I, is wandering. I definitely feel the same way, because, like, the really big thing about that game was... Uh, one of the earliest things that they said about it was I wanted to make every part of the game look like a sci-fi novel cover. And if there's anything that they achieved in that, it's that feeling. It's that, like, oh, I've crested this hill. And, dude, look, there are two planets setting over the horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's night, and there's these mushrooms glowing near me, and this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, that happens a lot in that game. Like, that feeling of, like, I've discovered the coolest horizon mm-hmm. uh, and that's kind of what drove me along a lot was that sort of thing and also discovering the alien monuments just because I'm you know <laughs> kind of going back to the whole thing of exploring spaces I'm just kind of a big fan of weird weird monuments and weird architecture that feels like it's left over from somebody who's no longer around um, so that's kind of uh, finding those like finding those horizons finding those monuments drove a lot of my enjoyment of the game sure indeed what games don't you like Uh, my two my two big genres that I don't like to play are RTS games because I'm terrible at them and open world games because I just don't think that they're very good Okay. In fact, that was that that was kind of the crux, you know, go, kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier about that, like that ranty article about Skyrim. Um, my big feeling about a lot of open world games is kind of the big feeling I have about like binge watching a show, where it's like you're technically doing something, but are you really doing anything worth your time, or are you just like killing time with it? And open world games always make me feel like I'm just killing my time without actually doing anything worth doing. Well, I can tell you, if you watch the show Gallivant, you're not wasting your time. Well, <laughs> it's only two seasons, so how could I be? <laughs> uh, but seriously, that, that time that you spend, is it's just not wasted. But yeah, that's... I don't know. I, I think that's a problem with just any game that's like super big. At some point, there's got to be something that kind of feels like filler. I think that's well, why that, The Witcher 3 is as, as successful as it is, is because everything kind of feels handcrafted and doesn't yeah. feel like filler. But so many games, like, I don't I don't want to do another race. I don't want to climb another tower. I don't want to do, like, I just I want to do stuff that's meaningful, just not more BS. And that's kind of the question with, with games, you know, is at what point am I just kind of doing things to do them? versus at what point am I actually feeling like I'm achieving things. Like, if you go to something like, like Tetris, which, you know, we all we all love and enjoy, um, you know, at what point are you just kind of doing... Yeah, it might be a test of your reflexes and your ability to plan ahead, but 
you know, once you've been able to, to clear the 20 levels that get you the end credits in most of those uh, uh, versions of it, uh, then kind of, you know, what, are your, what are you doing past that? It's just the game stays at a certain speed, and are you just that's, killing t- time? That, or? That's why you played Master Tetris. Uh, yes, Tetris, yeah. the, <laughs> Tetris, the Grandmaster 3. The Grandmaster, yes. That is why you watch people play that, and you go, yep, I'm not doing that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, then it then it's like, well, what what am I really doing differently in a game like Bayonetta, where I'm just like punching things more versus a game like Tetris? And is this all really worth my time? And, and you know, that's that's kind of the question about games, just in general. But it, it just kind of comes down to everybody's got those genres that they feel that way towards. Like, you know, you might feel like JRPGs are a waste of time or something because of the way that the combat systems work, maybe don't really fit into what you think is an enjoyable game, but somebody else might like it because they feel like it's a good way to relax, you know, and uh, it's just open world games kind of hit that point for me, where it's like, oh, none of these are really baked enough for me to feel like they're they're really enjoyable. Sure. Mm-hmm. Are there any... So that's why even with, even with games like uh, Horizon coming out, where it's like, they've, it's been reviewing well, but just as soon as I showed that first trailer, I was like, man, this is not my jam. Hmm. Are, are there any examples of um, open-world games that you think do it right and are worth your time? Uh, okay, so what are we defining as open-world here? Are we defining, like, GTA-style games? I don't know. What, what are you are defining we... as open-world? <laughs> so I, I'm defining those kind of, like, GTA-style open-world games or, like, like Far Cry 2. Okay. Um, where it's kind of like there's a bunch of weird side missions that you can just go up to a random dude to talk to about. And I'm not so much describing a game like... Uh, Ocarina of Time, where there's technically an open world, but yo, you're still just going into the dungeons, and that's the main thing. Um, it's uh, I guess the closest to that style that I just described is like Brutal Legend. I really like like there's an open world in it, and you can go up to people to to do like racing missions or hunting missions. But uh, I just find the world so cool, and I find it also really easy to ignore a lot of that, that stuff too. Hmm. Uh, oh, also, GTA Chinatown Wars on the DS is uh, amazing. Okay. Uh, I mostly spent most of my time in that game dealing drugs, and I was a very good drug dealer. Thank you very much. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> Thank glad, you. We all, glad we all, you found something that was worth a... your time. <laughs> yeah, no, we all need to have a, something that, that we really strive for in life, so... Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, so you probably mentioned a, a couple, uh, No Man's Sky being one, but what are some of your other kind of, I guess, favorite um, underrated games? Okay, so uh, one of my big favorite underrated games, just because it's also an unknown game, is uh, Chibi Robo on the GameCube. I was pretty sure you were going to uh, say that because you've written yes, about it before. Exactly. <laughs> I've written about it. I've t- talked about it. This game is the best, and uh, it's just it. It was a really good game that kind of got me considering what else games could be beyond just uh, kind of action games that you have fun with. 
because I remember actually when I first heard about it, it was in a Nintendo Power review, and everybody was reviewing it really highly. But when I'm reading about it, it's like this game's about cleaning stains. This game's about like cleaning up junk. Like, what's going on here? Why would anybody care about this game? So I was like, I just I'm buying it because I want to find out what you people are talking about. And when I started playing it, I was like, yo, this game's really good. I want to clean up all these stains. Uh, because it was... It just wound up being a game about more than I expected games could really be about. You know, most of the ones that had come before that that I'd played were really systems-based, really gameplay-based. And it was all about, like, yeah, like, the the actual act of swinging the sword feels really good. You know, exploring this dungeon feels really good. But Chibi Robo is just kind of about hanging out with a family and kind of seeing how their dynamics played with each other. <laughs> so at some point you've got the the layabout dad, the very, um, you know, the mom that has to pick up the slack because of it and how much that stresses her out. And then the daughter who's in the middle of these parents who kind of hate each other. Um, kind of going through a mental breakdown because of it. And all you are is really just a little robot who can kind of say yes or no and also cleans up trash. And you're trying to, like, deal with it. Um, it. It was a really, really interesting experience when I first started playing it because of the way that I was, like... Um, I was seeing the way it built up a family dynamic. And, you know, a couple of years before, my parents had gone through a divorce... So there's a scene in the game where the father is, uh, you know, he's made the wife very angry, so she's camping out in the bedroom, and she won't let him in, and she's just kind of locked herself in there. So he's hanging out outside of her room, just like in a sleeping bag, just, you know, sleeping at nights to show, like, his devotion, even though she can't really see it. <laughs> and she slides a letter to him, and he, like, gathers his daughter up with him, and he's like, it must be a love letter. Like, she's realized how much she loves me, and she's going to... She's going to, you know, write this letter to me and I'll, I'll read it out loud to you and you, you can see how much she loves me. But then he starts reading it and it's actually divorce papers. And I just remember being, like, struck so hard by that and just being like, this is the saddest thing I've ever seen in a video game. And I feel like that actually did a lot to to prepare me for, you know, when, when things like Gone Home started coming out and people were asking that question of, like, well... Is this really a game? Like, what's actually playing into it? Um, you know, if we're just kind of following these stories around while we're exploring. And I was just like, guys, I answered that question years ago in Chibi Robo when I helped the teddy bear kick his barely concealed heroin addiction. So you guys want to talk to me about games that are uh, about more than just... Bring all your questions game. right yeah, here. <laughs> I, I got you. Because nice. also, yeah, you, you help a teddy bear kick his heroin addiction. Except it's honey, guys. It's just honey. That's what they tell you. That's the first taste is always free. <laughs> yeah, so so that that that's always kind of the game that I look back on. It's like, wow, that, that game is, one, super excellent, and more people should have played it. And it's very sad that Nintendo doesn't know what to do with Chibi Robo. And two, it's just also, it's kind of a game that changed me not just in terms of like making me a fan of games but also just understanding that games could be more so you know once we started to ask these questions about it it was like yeah no games can be games can be way more and way more affecting and tell way more personal stories than just what, what we've really expected sure so that's uh and uh if we want to talk about another favorite underrated game of mine let's talk about enter the matrix 
<laughs> that I played that. That was that was an experience all in itself. Um, I you know so like yeah. Let's talk. You should you start. I'll I'll jump in. Enter the Matrix is a terrible video game that I think is one of the best games I've ever played. And the big thing about it was the hacking interface that they had, where there was this like really weirdly deep ability to hack into the Matrix in it. And there were puzzles to solve and like weird code words that you could put in that would introduce more things that then you could start using to influence your actual playthrough of the game. Um, so like even if you if you entered the hacking interface, like the cheat menu wasn't just something that you could access. You had to go a couple levels deep in order to put in multiple commands to get you to the cheat menu. And then from there you still had to know commands to actually activate the cheats. It was like the most weird, obscure thing, but it actually made me feel like I was like actually hacking the game and making a weird difference in it. So that's the kind of thing that... I remember giving each player character a katana so that uh-huh. they killed whoever they actually grabbed. I did uh, Because it would change the throw into a katana slash. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, yeah, this is badass. And so once you got to those <laughs> levels later on where there were the vampires that you had to kill, oh, also there were vampires in this game. Um, and you, you know, you could either shoot them one by one with a crossbow... Or you could go stab them with a katana. I was like, I'm just going to stab them with a katana. Stab them with a katana, yep. I remember but, that. I, yeah. But then what I also loved was that the hacking didn't really work right. It kind of felt more like you were putting in game shark codes, but they were game shark codes that were, fil- that were built into the system. Because it would be like you'd give yourself infinite health, but also certain enemies would just kind of randomly have it too. And it felt so so hacky and put together, but I remember just having hours of fun just being like, yeah, I've got infinite ammo, and now I'm shooting all these grenades at people, but they just <laughs> kind of pop back up, so i got to figure out if I want to run from them, or if I want to actually just shoot grenades forever. So there was, a, a, there, was, there was a period of, like, right around the point where I was 21, where I would say 21, almost 22, maybe a little before that, uh, but I was living with my best friends David and Charles. And it was at that time that the Matrix Reloaded came out. And uh, I am not a Matrix hater. Um, I appreciate the, the, the second two, you know, the, 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 the Reloaded and uh, Revolutions in, in a myriad of ways. They're not good movies, but I enjoy them. Yes. Um, but I heard that this game had pieces of the story that were left out. So we made it our mission to explore every part of that game to get the most out of it. Um, plus, I got to see uh, what's it called? Uh, Maria Bell... What, what is her name? Uh, shoot, what's know. her face? Yeah. yeah. The, what? She the, kissed Jada Pinkett and I was like, alright, this game is okay. The, the, Italian, um, the Italian lady who was like... Yes. Monica Bellucci. The Merovingian's wife. Monica Bellucci? The, Monica, Monica Bellucci, Bellucci that's, yes. that's right. Yeah, yeah, the one who tells Neo, like, kiss me like you kissed her. Exactly. And she did that to both Ghost and she did it to um, Jada Pickett's character. And I was like, okay, this is neat. Uh, and each one had like kind of a different way that they were going. Are you so, forgetting the name Niobe? Like you pretend yes, like you don't actually know it? Jeez. That's right. Yeah, no, I really like... So the the, the Matrix is my favorite movie. Um, the other two Matrix movies I appreciate a lot 
but I can understand why everybody hates them. Yeah, no, totally. Yes, they're not great, but I, I absolutely appreciate them. Exactly. Uh, Especially, I I really enjoy. um, I think my favorite um, part of all those three movies is the the very first um, agent fight at the beginning of Reloaded. Yeah, that's good. You realize that he has gone through the entire movie, the Matrix, running away from these guys. And then the door opens, three of them walk in, and he just kind of cocks his head, and he's like, oh, all right. Yeah, that's good. It's like, okay, shit's different now. <laughs> I, like, I like that Agent Smith fight a lot where there's all the Smiths. I yeah. like the fight against Cypher. Ugh. Yeah. Let's just... That, uh, I, guys, like, let's, end this, let's end this podcast and start a Matrix podcast. Yes. The, the end, the, there are a lot of the parts of the Matrix that hold up really well. Yeah, that burly brawl does not. Oh uh, yeah, it does not. Like, and I, I also that, that that's going, a really fun one insane. to go back through. Yeah, and hear the uh, sound effects that they use. Yes, because there's just like weird sounds of dominoes falling or like bowling pins collapsing. The foley work in that is uh, is is very interesting. <laughs> it's magical. Uh, yeah, it is. But yeah, there, there's that that I remember seeing that in the theater and going, "This looks amazing," and uh-huh. seeing it on TV probably like a year ago, going. This does not look great anymore. Yeah, it doesn't hold up super well. Like it's the, easy to see where he flips and becomes CGI and then comes back. Yeah, <laughs> I think some of the like the highway stuff holds up pretty well in Reloaded, uh, where like Trinity's on that motorcycle going up the highway. Totally, that's the the, the um I, that's probably one of the first movies where I um, physically reacted to something in the the actual theater. Um, where my hands went up and I yelled yes at the same time that awesome. uh, what's his name did because it was just like holy crap he caught them this is amazing yep. this is the greatest thing ever yes yeah 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 that's really good anyway sorry for uh, turning yeah, this into a matri- into years that's good into fifteen years late Matrix chatter yeah that happens you know totally it's cool it's a thing I still have more in me. I can go I'm on sure. about the Matrix for a long time. So I've, I've only got one thing to say about either the movies or the, the the game Enter the Matrix. The thing that stands out most in my mind is that in Enter the Matrix on the Xbox, the default control scheme had the black button, the the one that's like you know below the A button, um, as shoot. That sounds horrible. And that that is madness. Yeah, I had the I had the Madness. far superior GameCube version. Thank you. I think you could change it um, to to make like the triggers, you know, shoot like a, a normal oh, person. Oh, for sure, you could. But um, but the default control scheme, I guess it was probably because the PS2 was the default version, and it probably used the uh, the shoulder buttons as as shoot. Yeah, and so they were just yeah. like, oh, it doesn't matter on a different controller that has a different layout. It's cool. Yeah, it's kind of uh, weird to see that in like um, stuff like, uh, like I've got San Andreas on the uh, original Xbox, but you know I've got a backwards compatible 360. Mm-hmm. So every now and then it's like hit the black button for this, and I'm like, what is that? <laughs> I don't know on this 360 controller. Pretty sure it's just the right button. This doesn't. This doesn't compute. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like when you play a, a PC game that hasn't been configured for controllers or like the right that. controller. It's like press A and you're there on your PS4 button. Like okay, 
Or press press E for this. It's like I don't but there's no E. There is no E on this stupid controller. Playing San Andreas and it's like plus the black we'll press the black button. You're like, Do you know what game I'm playing? You can't say that. Is <laughs> that right? Oh, uh, nice. Well Brian, we we have reached the uh the end game. Have we really already? We this have. Been great. All, already. Like We've been doing this, this for like an hour. This is going... Let's do this then. This All right. Trucking along. Take it away, though. So, I'm going to assume that you've listened to various interviews on our our, our, our site. Um, so, but we like to end um, with a questionnaire that we call the end game. It was originally the lightning round. That did not work. For many reasons. One of which is the fact that people actually have to stop and think about these questions. Yeah. More so than the ones that we've already asked. What do you mean? You generally have to think about answering the questions that we ask anyway, but these are even yeah. more so. It was, it's just yeah, but the, yeah, exactly. These are like, these are pointed questions. And normally when I'm, when I am hit with a pointed question, I tend to forget what my answer is and then be like, oh, crap. I yeah, no, I, I will definitely come up with better answers later and you'll, yes. see, it on my, you'll see it on my Twitter. <laughs> so, All right, just, so what, b- before you start, uh-huh. Brian, I, I do want to just go ahead and make a pact here on the the podcast that yes. you and I will not think about answers to these questions beforehand because at some point we're going to have to answer this stuff. But yes. we're going to try to be just as stooped as everybody else. I guarantee you that I will be the moment you ask the question. <laughs> even if I thought about it now, and even if I wrote down answers. You would ask it, and suddenly all of that would go out the window, and I'd be like, I'm, "Oh my god, I don't know." Okay, good. Yeah, good. but yeah, so that's that's just me when I'm hit with questions like that. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, who's your favorite protagonist? Ugh. Oh boy, that's a that's a question that I did not expect. Yeah. Um, ah, it's hard because I think most game protagonists are really terrible. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Um. It's it's a, I guess it feels like a super cop out to say it, but I really like Commander Shepard. Um, but Commander Shepard. There, there are possible hundreds of hours of Mass Effect chatter on this site. Uh, that is not a cop out. That's <laughs> okay. So well, actually, what I what I really liked doing when I first started playing Mass Effect, um, I was I was still together with my ex then, and what we did was, I would play the game, but she would answer Commander Shepard. So she was kind of forming the conversational Commander Shepard, but I was forming the gameplay Commander Shepard. You were you were the Shepherd of Action. Exactly, I was the Shepherd of Action. But the only exception I made was if there is a, a right trigger or left trigger pull that I can do for Paragon or Renegade, I will do those regardless of what she wants. Um, so so there were those like you <laughs> the, know the but, acting out. <laughs> exactly, yeah. When when it's like, can I snipe these guys? Renegade action. Okay, well there you go. Like she may not have wanted that, but I just totally sniped these dudes. <laughs> it's an action prompt. I had to take that. That's mine. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, also, I really like. Uh, I really liked Asura in Asura's Wrath. That dude was okay. angry. That dude was yeah. super like, angry. I thought, I thought Kratos was angry. Asura Did was you play angry. that? Did you play that DLC with the final episodes? I, I have not. I haven't actually played the game. I've watched an awful lot of it. Um, it is the most incredible ending I've ever seen. Also, that game's got the best fist bump in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know. 
It is a quick time fist bump. Also, it's a quick time <laughs> fist bump another dude. Yeah, as it should be. As, as it should be. be. And yes, uh, as soon as that as soon as that button prompt popped up, I I almost threw my controller. All right, I'm gonna flip the coin. I'm gonna break these up a little bit the way we have them written here. Uh, okay. Flipping the coin. Who's your favorite antagonist? This I think is the better question. Oh God. Okay. A quality bad guy. A quality just rival is is difficult to find and one that sticks out uh, the answers we've had have all been great oh boy okay do I do I actually have to choose just one because a couple have come to mind I start with the first one and then you I, I absolutely throw in like an honorable mention so of all the characters and all the games I've played with good antagonists the first one who came to my mind was actually Emperor Doviculus from Brutal Legend okay yes sure uh, boy Voiced by one Tim Curry. Freaking Tim Curry, yes. Freaking Tim Curry, and it's entirely because of that vocal performance. Yep. Like, he is chewing every ounce of scenery possible in that game. Grinds it into fine grounds. And it's the most beautiful thing. Like, it's hard to say that a vocal performance is chewing the scenery, but he manages to make it happen so easily. It it works so well because that character has such such a large mouth. Exactly, yeah. He's like the mouth of Sauron, but if the yeah. mouth of Sauron was a, a bondage monster. Yep, and had a great voice. And what? had a great voice. Well, hey, the mouth of Sauron has a beautiful voice. Yeah, he, it, was, it was fine. It worked. It's, it's wonderful. Um, and the, the, yeah. the, the actual effect work they did with the mouth was fantastic. Also really good. Yeah, that was really good. Anyway, so, yeah, Doviculus is kind of the first one that comes to mind. He may not actually be my ultimate answer, but... But just in terms of performance and look and just evil pouring off of a dude, he's really good. And then my second answer, I guess, will be an honorable mention, is Bowser in any of the Mario RPGs. (laughs) Okay. Because Bowser in, like, Mario Galaxy is like, wah, 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 I've kidnapped Princess Peach. But Bowser in the Mario RPGs is like this weird, this really fragile egoed, like machismo caricature that is hilarious. He's probably some of the best writing that I've ever seen in, in like most games in general. So that's why uh, Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story is probably a really good game, is because you can play as him a bunch. So it's just his reaction to just a bunch of other characters in the Mushroom Kingdom uh, as he's going around, and then you also grow really big and punch castles to death, and so that game's really good. <laughs> that, is, that is good. Yeah. I like the, I like both those answers. Um, pushing further, um, who's your favorite side character? <sighs> you are actually getting more questions like the normal interviewee gets. Uh, just because yeah. we like, we want to kind of get a full, well-rounded uh, look at our at, at the Dark Station writers. So, like, normally we only do like two of those, and there's only like six questions in the whole thing. We expanded this one out because we had somebody who had already answered them, so uh-huh. I had to come up with more. Um, so now we're just kind of diving into those two. Oh boy, side characters. Um, I really like. Uh, there's so many good ones. I really like the shopkeeper in Resident Evil Four a lot. Is a good answer that comes to mind. Um, I don't know. For some reason, just his "What are you buying?" his like simple ways of just like showing up in weird places, like it's normal. 
uh, always stuck to me. But then I also really like it because he kind of informs the shopkeeper in Bayonetta, who references the what are you buying and stuff. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, but then there's also like going back to Chibi Robo. The entire side castle of that game is yeah. pretty good. Um, so if, if I can kind of pour, you know, go into a couple. Like the first dude you really meet is one of the like more generic characters. His name is Drake, Drake Redcrest. Drake Redcrest, and he is a rooster-themed space superhero. Um, and his whole thing's all about yes, justice. That's great. But so you have to like patrol around the living room with him, and nothing goes on in the living room because it's just a living room. But you eventually find out, like, oh, one of these other characters has a giant crush on him. So you're trying to help her get together with him, but all he can see is justice. Um, but so then, like, other characters you meet are there are these uh, army men that look like eggs, and they're called the Free Rangers. Um, and one of them is That's haunted. That's a good about, joke. One of them is haunted about the death of a private that he had. Um, so, like, as he's training the rest of them, you're just seeing, like, the weird ways that the death of this other one is coming into play with him until you find out eventually like oh no it turns out that one's alive and you're able to get this redemption for the sergeant character um there's this character named funky phil and funky phil is this dancing plant and all he wants to do is have happy times but eventually you find out he's got kids but he never takes ownership for them um and then he dies so he's got these four kids that he just never takes ownership of and then just completely has to abandon because he's dead. And, like, what do you do with that? And I was just like, man, what is... What is so, you know, uh, again, this all this also kind of goes into why Chibi Robo was such a big game for me. Um, there's also this, this giant robot in the basement called Giga Robo that's just dead. And as you start to find out his backstory and why he's dead in the basement... Uh, it starts to also inform a lot of why, you know, like, Drake Redcrest, the character that's got the, the crush on him, the Free Rangers, the, you know, Funky Phil, they're all toys, but they're all toys that are able to come to life, and it actually, like, expands into the backstory of that. So all of those side characters wind up, like, really feeding into this whole story based around the center of, of the dad who was able to, at some point, invent perpetual energy and, and how that, that actually went forward. Uh, so so it, it's uh, it's really strong. Nice. I like it. Oh, last yep. last side character, <laughs> Fawful from the Mario and Luigi games. Um, if you've ever played it, he is basically just a bunch of bad English translations. Um, so he he yells out things like "I have fury," and uh, I can't remember any other good ones off the top of his head. But Fawful is amazing, and he's one of the best characters. Okay. okay. The bartender knows All right. his fucking name. All right. So, in some games, Mass Effect especially, we were asked to leave a character behind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a big choice. If you could leave any character behind, who would it be? Mm. So just kind of like in any game in general? In any game. If you, if you had the option to leave a character on that planet with a bomb and just be like, peace. Or Caden, either or either Kaden. one's uh, no, either one's okay. Like, like if we're talking about if we're talking about Mass Effect, I would totally leave Ashley on any planet with any bomb ever. <laughs> the space because I was like, man, I ain't got room for space racism on my. That's right. Nope, not my Normandy. 
No, sir. Uh, my second answer is Waluigi. Is Wa- okay. Oh, nice. Excellent. Good work. So far, you're doing Lord's work with these. I appreciate this. Thanks. This is good. This is good. Okay, uh, next question. Um, are there any trends going on in video games today um, that you would like to see kind of expand out to the uh, to the majority? Something that maybe something, somebody small is doing that you're like, hey, some more people should do this. Okay. Um, I think one of the bigger things that we should focus on in games is kind of figuring out what to do when you're not uh, in combat. Um, uh, and that's you, you something... go back into combat. That's that's pretty simple. That's, exactly. That's... Like that's that's what happens <laughs> in a lot of games. Like, and it's one of those things where it's always kind of fun to read reviews of action games because it's like in a really good action game like God of War or Devil May Cry or something like that you're locked in arenas until you fight enough dudes that they they disappear. But in a really bad action game, you're locked in an arena until you fight a bunch of dudes and they disappear. But for some reason, in one of them, they're praise, and then in another one, it's kind of a bad thing. But, I, you know, it kind of comes down to the mechanics of it, but that's always one of those things that I like reading reviews for and being like, ah, you guys are praising one of them. You know you guys are saying the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah, you're saying the exact same things here. But it's it just kind of like, um, you know, there, there's there's more that you can do with a game than, you know, even if it's not just the the simple thing of exploring a space, like I said, I've really liked earlier. Um, it's not as complicated as getting into combat with dudes. There's always kind of this, this feeling of, like, there's more that you can do to build out the world without having to just, just have, um, you know, either constant fights or just constant, like, nothingness and letting you piece it together. And it, it's kind of something that I felt the original Bioshock did really well that I haven't really seen too many games do since, including Bioshock Infinite, where there's just kind of this feeling like as you explored the world, the world grew around the way you explored it. Because, like, you... Um, a, a good example is the area where Sander Cohen is, um, which Sander Cohen was himself an entirely optional guy. And uh, um, exploring the area around him you know, more than he asked for was also entirely optional. But there were just weird areas where, like, you know, you'd have statues following you, but it turns out the statues were just, like, people covered in plaster that were just stalking you so that they could attack you when you least expected it and stuff like that. And it, it kind of felt like, um, like, as you were exploring the world, the world was reacting to you and building up these threats to it. And, yeah, it wound up with combat, but it sort of built up with it where these were the artistic people and these were the weird things that they did uh, to, you know, to maybe torment the other people around you. You know, they'd already been corrupted by plasmids. They were already crazy. And you were just another hopeful victim of theirs that that you probably saw scattered along the way, too. Um, Or even things like when you walk into that... um, I, I think it's a strip club, but you walk into the back and it's, like, clearly... Uh, the remnants of an abortion gone horribly wrong in the back room where there's just a corpse there too you know just kind of kind of ways of telling the story with the environment that aren't as obvious environmental storytelling as words written on the wall in blood uh, so I think stuff like that could be explored a little bit more because there's a, there's a lot to do with it um, or also uh, I also think that there's something that games can do a lot with uh like repetition or or with being boring specifically because like uh like papers please is a really good example too where 
that game is all about the bureaucracy, the process, you know, you getting a law and having to go along with it. Yeah, that is a game where the red tape is the story. Exactly. Like, it's not, it's not fun, but it's fascinating. And I feel like games could explore, you know, mundanity a little bit better, too. You know, just kind of that feeling of, like, I have woken up, I am just a dude. I am a dude that has to do what he has to in order to survive because he's not going to change the world and let's see what we can do. Uh, so, you know, like I said, games like um, Papers, Please, I feel like the Stanley Parable did a little bit with that, too. Uh, so, so I, I, I don't know, I'd, I'd kind of like to see just, just things like that explored a little more. That's absolutely fair. And yes. Yes. Uh, flipping the coin on this one. Um, and I know you've got some. Um, what, what are some tropes that, that video games need to get rid of, like, right now? Video games need to stop having so many towers that i got to climb in order to find out more about the world. Man does not like his towers. <laughs> I do not like towers. And that new Zelda game's coming out. That Zelda game's going to have towers. I'm going to hate it. I think they and confirmed just... that that new Zelda game absolutely has towers. You can? I think it... I... I think that's confirmed already. I think it's confirmed, right? Yeah, when I heard yeah, that, I, was like, I think it's confirmed already. Man. So, like, I was uh, I was at PAX South, and they had the option to go play Breath of the Wild, but it was like a three-hour long wait. I was like, maybe I got better things to do with my time than find out that there's towers in this game, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> um. So yeah, I just and it all kind of goes into the whole the whole idea of like there's too much to do in open world games like that but also it winds up being too little to do because it's like oh cool you guys made a racing mission way to go I'm never going to play that but it's kind of like the the really annoying thing about my opinion is that it kind of goes both ways where it's like I hate games that are overly scripted but I don't like games that are overly open so something like I never liked the Uncharted games because I always felt like they were overly scripted and every now and then I would just like my mo- my personal most fun that I can have with an Uncharted game is breaking it I like to not engage with it and see how the game falls apart because <laughs> it's like oh like the music is going like and like the building's falling apart but if I just stand here nothing happens like take that AI video game of what I'm playing. I'm smarter, I'm smarter than you. I beat you. Exactly. But then if it's if it's a game like uh, you know Saints Row, where it's like, hey, come over here and you can jump through these hoops until you gain an upgrade. It's like that's also dumb. So I, I kind of like to find a little uh, a little middle ground in there. So kind of the the two trends that I don't like as much are too much scripting, but also too much open worldness. There, there's a middle ground in there that I'm happy with, but it's a very luckily it's a very big middle ground. That's absolutely a fair middle ground. Yeah, that is fair. Um, you're an electrical engineer, which is fascinating. If just because I can't do it, and that sounds uh-huh. really cool. Um, if you had no restrictions, <laughs> is there any other job you'd like to try? Yeah, actually, I actually would have really liked to become a programmer. Um, in fact, at my last job before this one where I became an electrical engineer, um, I, I applied for a programming position that would have built up the, the system. Um, but I, I always felt like I was always in college the engineer 
who kind of liked to program, which was a weird thing for electrical engineers because all of them like hardware. They like soldering things together, like putting chips in things. They like attaching antennas. But at some point, these chips are also, you know, programmed in C++. Somebody's got to figure out how to make it, you know, move the ones and zeros. And it always came down to me. So I was always like, this is cool. I could see myself doing this. But it just sort of turned out where um, there were just... I, I It was like a weird combination of I hadn't learned enough in college to actually become competitive in my applications for it. But also... Um, at my last job where I could have become a programmer, when they finally got back to me about the position that I applied for, they said, oh, yeah, that that position doesn't uh, exist anymore, so sorry about that. Um, nice. Where okay, that, yeah, that's the worst. That just kind of never wound up being my life, so I was like, okay, that's yeah. fine. I guess I'll just... I guess I'll just go along with this other fulfilling career path. <laughs> um, if I could do uh, anything beyond that, I'd probably like to be a writer. Um, I think I'd be good as a short story writer, but the problem is I don't have enough motivation to like sit down and just write short stories. Granted, if that was the only way that I got any money at all, I'd probably be able to get more. Yeah. It's just putting yourself in that position. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's not, yeah, where you're like, you're, if, if my meals needed to be bought with money made writing, I'm sure I could get there. But the fact that I don't, I'm I completely lazy in that way, and I wish I wasn't. Yeah, totally right there with you, man. Right there with you. Uh, next question. If you had the opportunity to play any game again for the first time, what would it be? I could be wrong. I could be wrong. This is a really good one that you were talking about earlier where it's like I had the answer to it. Oh, oh Fez. If I had any game that okay. I would play again the first time, it would be Fez. Um, that game affected me a lot, like the first time I played through it. And just the way that you you find you find those weird things in it, you know? You find mm-hmm. those blinking red lights and you're like does this do anything and then you kind of put in commands based on it you're like oh it totally does something uh, or you find the the clock that ticks differently on each side so it's possible to get like multiple multiple hypercubes from it like all of that stuff I just found so fascinating and it's actually really difficult to go back to Fez after you've found everything in it Mm-hmm. Because because you actually kind of want to push through it all. Like, you kind of want to speed it up and just be like, okay, well, I already know what this is. So I and then that kind of falls apart. Yeah, exactly. And then it's yeah. like, oh, shoot. Like, I know, the f- I know the final result. There's something else that I was supposed to do with it. And yeah, so I would like to find that sense of discovery and exploration again. Um. I would like to be able to fill another notebook full of notes as I'm trying to figure out what's going on in Fez. Mm-hmm. Um, second answer is super hot. If I had never played the uh, the Game Jam demo and had just launched into the full game, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like that would have been cool, too. Very cool. Very cool. Flipping this one, is there any game you wish you could forget? Uh, Mass Effect 3? Uh, yeah, I liked... So, the thing about Mass Effect was I liked... 
the story, but I never really liked the gameplay too much. Oh. So then Mass Effect 3 kind of had a worse story than the other ones. And it just kind of like a, a couple hours in, I was like, man, I am already feeling like this is a giant, giant slog. Oh, also, I managed to beat Mass Effect 3... Uh, this year, uh, it, actually in 2017, I finished it in January, <laughs> but I didn't have the DLC installed that had the new endings on it, so I oh, got to see. Wow. Okay. I got to see the original endings, and I was so unfulfilled. And I looked them up later, and I was like, "What's all this extra stuff?" I oh, I was an idiot. <laughs> actually, it um long ago, what, like, five years ago, when yeah. Mass Effect 3 came out, and we did a post-mortem on the game, um, I had an argument that, um, the, the end of Mass Effect 3 is unwieldy and kind of janky and broken, uh, which is exactly how I like my Mass Effect, and the, the new doctored-up ending is too... It explains too many things. Yeah, and the, so that... the fact that the original ending leaves kind of open that there there are these like hour long videos and you know insanely long articles that people have written that are basically like explaining how the ending is actually the Reapers winning and Shepard is dead and he's hallucinating all this stuff. The fact that the the original one lets that happen because it's so wonky is fantastic in the way that it should be. Yeah. And I still yeah, think so, that. So I can I can understand that argument a lot. Like it, it there there's something to the simplicity of the original endings. Uh except that I also wasn't super paying attention when the little kid explained what each ending potential was. So when it was like make your choice, I was like, oh shit, can I replay that cutscene? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so that's when I was like, okay, well, the, if I if I if I don't appreciate this ending, this is also partially my fault. But then I can also understand the idea that the um, the new endings go go too far because, like, a, a good example is the the ending where you like blow up the Reapers. Mm-hmm. Um, in the new version of it, like, it ends with the idea like, oh, hey, it turns out Shepard's still alive. And I'm like, man, no. Y'all went way too far on that. Does it? I didn't uh, realize that. Yeah, well, one of them ends with, like, you see N7 armor in the wreckage, and then you hear a gasp, and the hand twitches, and then it just cuts. Oh, that that was in the original. That was in the original? Mm-hmm. Well, that's weird, because that was the ending that I chose, but I didn't see that. Oh, I'm pretty sure that, I thought that was in the original. Maybe, it would, I don't know. It's, it has been almost five years, so I... Yeah, so... Knows. Uh, yeah, so that, that that's kind of a... I, I don't know. For, for some reason, like, me and also uh, my ex who watched me play through Mass Effect 3, you know, she was the one who was doing all of the... Choosing what Shepard was saying in the conversations. Because, like, at, at some point in that one, both of us just felt like, man, I don't know what exactly it is, but all the stuff that I thought was cool about the story before... It you know in Mass Effect Two is now it's now just really lame right now. So well, a lot of it is 
a lot of it is they just explain too much. I mean, the Reapers are threatening because you have no idea what they are before, you know, when you first meet Sovereign and he's talking about how you can never understand what he is. And he's being so vague that, yeah, you can't actually understand what he is because he's not explaining it. Like, it's... Yeah, it's it's the horror movie thing. Like the, the villain's only yeah. scary when you when you can't see the villain. Uh, and yeah. then once everything is just fully laid out, you go, oh, they're just they're they're space robots that oh that like I don't know this yeah no it it, it definitely it explains too much. Um, and I think the uh, the turn that it takes with like the the Reapers are protecting us from annihilating ourselves with AI doesn't feel like the real end of the arc that begins in this Yeah, no, I, I kind of like, so uh, I'll go I'll go to bat for the movie Prometheus which I think is actually a really good movie um, but I kind of felt like the way that the aliens in it were trying to come and kill humanity but it's never quite explained like it's explained to one of the characters in a language that we can't understand without any subtitles mm-hmm. uh, so I found that way more interesting than kind of like any actual answer that they could have ever actually given so it's just sure. like oh shoot like they may have their reasons but it's also reasons that we'll never understand and maybe sure. we're not supposed to understand so that that's the, the, the mystery of it does add a lot but then Mass Effect 3 is like here's everything Here's the Rachni Queen. Here's Grunt. You remember Grunt? He's not Rex. Absolutely not Rex. Leave Grunt out of this. Grunt is fine. <laughs> Grunt's my boy. Me and Grunt. Grunt crawled his way out of that cave, damn it. Yeah, but you know what? Grunt ain't Rex. Grunt is not Rex. That's fine. That's true. <laughs> Nobody else was Shepard. <laughs> Uh. All right. Uh, last All right, question. Right? So that that yep. Yeah, we're final question. This is what we now. This if you haven't heard one of our interviews, which is what's wrong with you. But if you haven't, this is what we end all of them with. And I think this is the both the most fantastic question and the weirdest question I could possibly ask somebody. Um, at the end of our lives, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom, and Toad is there to greet us with the Book of Our Deeds, what would you like him to say to you before he lets you in? Oh, uh... I kind of feel like I want to keep it video game related, but I also kind of feel like not, so that's a hard one there. Um... The gates of the Mushroom Kingdom, and Toad is there. What would Toad even care about? It's for you to decide. That is for me to decide. You know what? He would probably admonish me for how many times I just spent bouncing on uh, Commander Toad's head in Mario Galaxy. (laughs) And then, like, cast me into Mushroom Hell. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, listen, I've seen this book before, all right, man? You ain't bouncing on my head, you're going down. Uh huh. Yeah. No. Get get off my my heaven spaceship. Nice. I like it. That's it, man. You did it. You made it to the end. You did a fantastic job. Jonathan, take us out. Well, Rom, thank you so much for sitting down and uh, chatting with us about all the good things in life, like the show Gallivant on Netflix, where you can watch it now. 
um, and other other stuff that Jonathan, we mentioned. Canceled. They cannot sponsor this podcast. That's I don't. They're not spot. I don't care. People need to know. I'm spreading the gospel of Gallivant. Okay, shut up. It's my podcast. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. Go watch it, and thank you for for talking to us about things. I feel so uh, like dirty about. <laughs> I feel so dirty about the fact that I've just been your your launching pad for this Gallivant talk. Right. Oh well, if it makes you feel any better, I mean, anybody that had talked to us tonight would, it could have been somebody it, it else. Yeah, it would have been anybody else. You, uh, you just, took the bullet. It's a perfect storm of, of uh-huh. events. Uh, but uh, but yeah, thank you, Rob, for for joining us. And uh, yeah, hope to to see you on the show again sometime. It won't be soon because we have a lot of people to talk to. Uh, so we we will be back uh, soon to talk to other people, and you should totally check out that episode and learn more about your writers at uh, at darkstation.com. <laughs> it's not that funny. <laughs> <laughs>